Hey everybody, so glad to have you with us today. Uh, we've been covering a series, or I've been covering a series called Visions That Give Hope from some passages in the book of Revelation. And what we're going to talk about this morning should fill your heart with hope. And uh, the word, I'm trusting in the power of the Scripture to do that and in the power of the Holy Spirit to just uh, absolutely abundantly fill your heart with great hope and, and with great joy this morning. God gave the revelation of the new Jerusalem to John just at the time intense persecution was rising up against the church, okay? The new earth with its new city was God's ultimate answer to the severe trials and losses Christians were about to face. This vision of heaven is God's medicine for suffering, pain, disappointment, and discouragement. It sows unending and unconquerable hope in our hearts as we focus on it. So, if a vivid picture of the new city, the new Jerusalem that we're going to talk about this morning, if a vivid picture of the new city is not part of your outlook on life, then you are depriving yourself of one of the main sources of abundant joy and hope that God wants you to have. C.S. Lewis said, Scripture habitually puts the joys of heaven into the scale against the sufferings of earth, and no solution to the problem of pain which does not do that can be called a Christian one. In other words, contemplating the joys of heaven is God's solution for our present pain. And if you're not using that as your medicine for pain, you're turning aside to something false, to some false lesser answer than what God has for you. So the joy of the new Jerusalem is a spiritual weapon against the devil, against depression, and even death. But I want to begin this morning by setting this vision in God's big picture for us. God told us in Genesis 1 that the purpose of His creation was to make people in His image, and these people were to have children and fill the garden and the whole earth. They were to tend the garden, to name and rule over the animals, then eventually manage the whole earth. And all of this would take place with God's unbroken blessing upon them and upon all of creation. But Adam and Eve sinned against God. They were expelled from the garden, and the earth came under a curse. The ground produced thistles and thorns. Hard work and sweat were required to make things grow. Pain became part of childbirth. Conflict became part of marriage. Hatred became part of human relationships. Death entered the world because of sin, and death spread to all men because all sinned. Romans 5.12. 12. So the Bible tells us that this earth and our experience on it is broken. I mean, broken big time. 
And yet, after being cast out of the garden and experiencing the misery of a sin-cursed world, the Bible also says that some men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Some were made right with God by faith or by believing God. Hebrews 11 tells us all about those men and women. And the key evidence of their faith was that their hearts became deeply attached to another world. They were created in this world. This world was broken. Their hearts became attached to another world. Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. They acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. Hebrews 11, again, says they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Amazing stuff. God somehow made known to them that He was building a new city, a new world, a new country for them, and He put a new or a deep longing for that place in their hearts. And Hebrews 11 tells us, that, tells us that this hope, this faith in a new world, a new country, a new city, it energized them, it drove them, it motivated their obedience through great deprivation and even suffering, persecution, and death. Well, praise God, centuries, centuries later, at just the right time, Paul says, God revealed the fullness of His plan to save us from our sin and degradation through Jesus Christ. And the essence of the gospel is that by trusting in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is sent into our hearts, and we have fellowship with God. These are wonderful possessions, riches that we have right now. The grace of God is upon us abundantly. But God's plan in saving us was always to bring us to a new world, to an eternal home where God would show us His kindness for all the ages to come, Ephesians 2.7. Titus 3, uh, verses 5 and 6 says, He saved us through the new birth and renewal by the Holy Spirit so that, having been justified, we would have the hope of eternal life. Eternal life is the ultimate outcome. It's the ultimate prize. It's the glory. It's the glorious ending. Primarily, eternal life is living forever with God in resurrected bodies, in God's new heaven and earth, including this new city, the new Jerusalem that, we're, that we just read about this morning. Eternal life is not some ghost-like experience of floating on the clouds where we're not sure if we are real or if anything around us is real. Heaven is real. There's a, there's a, there's a, a physicality, a realness, a reality to it. Wayne Grudem said, heaven is a place not a state of mind. 
And so Jesus and the apostles continually sought to tether our hearts to this other world. Paul said, their minds, speaking of unbelievers, their minds are on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. Peter said, the present heaven and earth will be destroyed by fire, but we are looking forward to a new heaven and earth wherein righteousness dwells. And I could quote countless passages of the Scripture where Jesus and the apostles, all the writers of Scripture, continually seek to attach our hearts, to tether our hearts to this other world, this new world coming. So, we come to Revelation 21 where God revealed to John a lot of details, not all the details, but many details about our destination in this new earth or on this new earth and in this new city that came down or is coming down to the new earth. Now, I think if you were going to Hawaii later this summer, you would probably get on your computer and do some research about what you would get to see and do there. Well, we should be that interested in heaven. It's our destination. It's where we're going. It's where we're going to spend eternity on the new heaven and the new earth. So we should want to find out all that we can about it and and enjoy what we find out. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Now, earlier in chapter 21, John saw a new heaven and a new earth. And as we we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the, the old heaven and earth passed away and now God, he, he created this heaven and earth, uh, and he's going to create a new, brand new heaven and a new earth. And John, the next thing that he says, he saw the, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So what, what happens is that God creates a new earth. He, heaven and earth are joined together now we think of you know heaven is as as a separate place where primarily God's throne is where God dwells and the angels supernatural beings praising uh, him departed saints and so forth and we that's separate uh, from our existence here on this earth but here now God comes down in this new city to dwell with us on earth. And that's what verse 3 says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is now with man. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. So the important thing about the new city is that it is the dwelling place of God and God comes to live with us on earth, and God dwelling with us in the new earth, or on the new earth, in the new city, is the answer to everything. And that's really not an overstatement. All that is wrong with people and life and the world is caused by the absence of God, or, the, or alienation from God. So, when heaven and earth are united... When God comes down to us to dwell with us in the new heaven and the new earth, when God comes down, suddenly everything is made new and right and beautiful. 
He will wipe away every tear. I mean, the first thing it says, he, God comes down to dwell on the earth, and the very next verse says, and he himself, God himself will wipe away every tear. I mean, he starts to make everything right. He wipes away our tears. Death, sadness, pain are all gone forever. Everything is as it should be. Uh, everything is just as we always have longed for it to be deep within our heart. And there's many places in the Scripture that tell us about this and, and work to set our hearts on this. And one of the best is Isaiah chapter 35. Pull it out and read it sometime this week. There will be no more sickness or handicaps in heaven or in the new Jerusalem. Isaiah 35, 5, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue will shout for joy. God will restore us to perfect health in perfectly functioning bodies. The earth itself will be restored. The curse that we talked about from Genesis uh, chapter 2, I believe, the curse on the ground will be no more. Isaiah 35 verse 1, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. Waters will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Deserts will become gardens. We sing, there's a, there's a song we sing that has that phrase in it. That's what this is from. God is able to make gardens out of deserts, and He will do that on the new earth because He will make all things new. And, and I believe the land, the ground of the new earth will produce incredibly beautiful plants and abundant crops. So now here in verse 9 of Revelation 21, we, we see that an angel invites John to a more detailed tour of this new city, the new Jerusalem. Come, the angel said, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This city is called the wife of the Lamb. This city belongs to Christ as a, as a, as a wife belongs to her husband. It's Christ's city, and only the bride of Christ can enter. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will be there. I believe this is a real or actual city. John sees brilliant light. He sees beautiful walls, gates, foundations. Uh, an angel measures it. And it specifically says the angel uses human measurements. He sees specific materials used for various parts of the city. People are coming and going. Treasures from all over the earth are brought into the city to honor the Lamb. And more about this in Revelation 22. There's a river in the city, uh, at least one, probably many, but there's a river lined with trees bearing fruit, and we're going to get a, continue and get into that more and more next Sunday. Uh, Randy Alcorn said, Satan need not convince us that heaven doesn't exist. He need only convince us that heaven is a place of boring, unearthly existence. If we believe that, 
we will be robbed of our joy and anticipation and will set our minds on this life, not on the next. So this morning, I'm going to look at seven blessings of life in the new city. And next Sunday, we're going to cover eight more. So this is only really a partial uh, view this morning of the, the new Jerusalem. First, we will see and experience the glory of God in the new city. Hallelujah. John said, I saw a city and it was shining with the glory of God. Uh, ESV says having the glory of God and then describes its brilliance. Several translations say shining with the glory of God. Uh, One says it shone with the glory of God. In other words, the city is all lit up with God's glory. God's glory is the source of the brilliance and radiance of the city. John goes on, its radiance was like a jasper as clear as crystal. You know, there's a little bit of confusion here because I guess a jasper is typically more a little bit have a red, has a reddish cast to it, but as I understand it, it can be in different colors. Uh, some actually think that what uh, was being referred to was a diamond, and its radiance was like a jasper, clear as crystal. I don't know, but in some way, it was like a shimmering, massive, cr- clear crystal or massive diamond descending from heaven to earth. John is trying to tell us how glorious the glory of God is. What's the most glorious thing you've ever seen? A a sunset, a particular sunset or sunrise, a, a full moon shining over a lake, a full rainbow? Well, this city has a glory a thousand times more than that. It is filled It is shining with the glory of God. Isaiah 35, 2. They will see the glory of the Lord and the splendor of our God. What a beautiful promise. We will see the glory of God and the splendor of our God. Habakkuk said, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I mean, this can be glory everywhere. Praise the Lord. I believe the deepest longing of every true child of God is to see the glory of God. You know, we sing, we sing that song, your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. And it is. Our hearts long to see the glory of God. Nothing, nothing more ministers healing and wholeness and joy than the manifestation of God's glory. Moses cried, please, Lord, show me your glory. That was a cry of Moses' heart. Even with all the the stuff, you know, he spoke with God face to face, had all these kinds of miraculous experiences, but what did he pray? Lord, I want to see your glory. Show me your glory. You may not even know that that is what you thirst for, but it is. To see the glory of God is the foremost blessing of the city, and it will captivate us forever. Next, the city's structure, the city's physical structures will constantly remind us of the wonders and the goodness 
of God's plan for us. We're just going to work through this, starting in verse 12. The city had a great high wall with 12 gates, three gates on the east, three on the north, the south, and on the west. And John saw 12 angels, presumably one at each gate. And so, as you would go into the city or into the gate of the city, there will be an angel there, uh, perhaps to greet you and bless you, angels all around us in the new city. That will be a normal part of life in heaven, not only our inter- interaction with one another, but our, our free interaction with the angels of God. The city sits upon 12, sorry, excuse me, the 12 gates have the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Interesting. God chose Israel as His people through which the Savior would come. Israel will never be forgotten by God. And the names of the 12 tribes are on the city gates. And the city sits on, upon 12 foundations or 12 foundation stones with the names of the 12 apostles. Jesus' 12 apostles and their teaching are of immense importance. Jesus gave them great authority and a special place, and much or most of the New Testament scriptures are written by them. So we place great emphasis on the authority of the apostles. And look at the honor these 12 men are given. And you just have to go back and, and think about these 12 guys in the Gospels. Think of James and John mending their fishing nets by the Sea of Galilee. Jesus walks by and he says, come follow me. And it says they left their nets and followed him. And these ordinary fishermen end up with their names on the foundation stones of heaven. Isn't that something? You know, Jesus said, if anyone, that includes you and me, if anyone serves me, my Father will honor him. Jesus honored those men, and he will honor you if you serve him. The honor the Father has for you and I, the honor the Father has for us, absolutely staggers our imagination. Ordinary people like you and I, will have our names written in the Lamb's book of life. Amazing. Your na- you have a name, and your name matters to God. God knows your name, and if you belong to Christ, He has written your name down in a book, the Lamb's book of life. It's in the new city, and I think you'll read it there. What a high honor this is. Jesus said, hey, don't rejoice that the demons or the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written down in heaven. By including the names of the 12 tribes along with the 12 apostles, I believe it shows our oneness or the the unity of the Old Testament and the New Testament. The oneness of Old Testament believers with New Testament believers. Jesus said, I say to you, and that's kind of like him saying, truly, truly. I mean, he's, I, I, very clearly, I say this to you. This is a true, trustworthy statement. Many people will come from east 
and the West, and they will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Many people from the East and West, he's talking about Gentile, Gentiles, people other than from around Israel, people from all other from all over the world and other nations, people like you and I. That means that people like us, people from all over the world who believe in Christ will be together and eat together with people like Abraham and Sarah and David and Joseph and Isaac and all these other men and women of faith from the Old Testament. Amazing. We're going to be with them and eat with them and fellowship with them and talk with them Jesus said, and feast with them in the kingdom of of heaven. I get excited about that. I don't know if you you do or not, but I think that sounds like a pretty wonderful privilege. Then in verses 15 through 17... The, the angel or, uh, well, the, the, the vision reveals the size of the city and the, the angel reveals its uh, actual dimensions. But before we get into that, I, it's just obvious from this vision that this is a very big city, the New Jerusalem. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's I, didn't get, I didn't calculate the measurements, but it's, thousands and thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of times bigger than any city um, in the existing world. God makes big things because He is a big God. I mean, you just consider the vastness of the universe. I mean, we, we, can't, even, we can't even begin, our minds can't even begin to, to wrap around the, the vastness of the universe that God created. So it's nothing for Him to make a city this size. And it needs to have some size, at least. The city will accommodate people from every nation and tribe and language from all the ages who are redeemed by Christ. And for some reason, the angel wants John to know just exactly how big it actually is. So he measures it for him, and it says, using a human standard of measure. And in our terms... The base of the city is a square, about 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles, but its height is also the same. So what John sees here is a massive, glorious, shimmering cube. J. Vernon McGee pointed out that uh, the moon is about 2,100 miles in diameter, and a cube the size of the New Jerusalem that the angel measures would just fit inside the sphere of the moon. So I don't know if it helps you or not, but if you could imagine, if you see a massive, full, orange moon uh, coming up out of the sky, if you could, if you could imagine a full moon uh, descending to earth, getting bigger and bigger and bigger as it came, uh, only as a cube instead of a, instead of a, a, a sphere, That would be something like what John saw. The next blessing is that we will see the stunning beauty of God's handiwork in the city. Verse 18 and 19, the wall was built of jasper, 
While the city was pure gold like clear glass, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. So what we see here in the city are precious stones, uh, the most precious stones known to man, streets of gold, uh, pure as glass, gates of pearl. And without getting lost in what each stone or precious metal looked like, the overall impression is that there were gems of every color and the overall impression is, is that the city is magnificent and opulent beyond description. I mean, God is, God is a rich God and He makes a rich and beautiful, opulent city. One of the greatest things in this life is to see the beauty of God's creation mountains and streams and things that God has, God has created. If, if there is such beauty in this fallen world, what will the new earth and the new city look like? I mean, and John, John is, is telling us something. Not, again, he's not revealing everything at all, but he's telling us some things about this, this city. It's this place of stunning beauty. And I don't know about you, but you know, I like beauty. I like I like to uh, uh, I like to be in beautiful places, see beautiful things, and that's what we're going to enjoy that forever in heaven. It's just it's just, just going to be pure, stunning beauty, forever and ever. Next, our fellowship with God will be direct, perfect, and unbroken in the new city. Verse twenty-two, and I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The Old Testament temple was God's dwelling place among His people, Israel. God was in heaven, but He manifested Himself in the temple. But it was a very restricted access, and actually into the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was most manifest, only the high priest could enter, and only that once a year. Very restricted, very limited. Here now, in, in the new heaven and new earth, in the new city, there is no temple because God is right here with us. There's no need for any special building, no special place for God in this city because God Himself and the Lamb are fully present. I don't know how else to put it, but we will be right up close to God. We won't have to go anyplace or go through anything. Uh, there's no rite or ritual, anything that it, in any way that we have to go through. We'll just, we will just live right up close to God. His presence will fill the city and the entire new earth and heavens. Next, next blessing, we will live constantly in the light of God's glory. We're going to see His glory, and just His glory alone, stunning, amazing. But His glory, it says here, and, and really all throughout these last few chapters of Revelation, uh, emphasizes that His glory is experienced by light or by brilliance. His light will be upon us, like a constant reminder that His glory is upon us and with us. It's going to be amazing. Wherever you walk, wherever you walk around, there's going to be this light 
upon you. No matter what room or place or street you're in, it's just lit up with the glory of God. And the city has, verse 23, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the Lamb. So every street, every home, every room will be illuminated by the glory of God. What an experience. Isaiah 60, uh, verse 19 says, No longer will the sun be your light by day, nor the brightness of the moon shine on your night. For the Lord himself will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your splendor. And the days of your sorrow will cease. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? God's glory will directly light up the new earth. Verse 24, by its light, by the light of God's glory, will the nations walk. All places, all people, all nations on the new earth will have this light from God's glory. Next blessing, the city is a place of activity all centered on on honoring and glorifying God. The city is a place full of activity, bustling with activity, centered on honoring and glorifying God. Verse 24 goes on, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Uh, Some might say, do you really think there will be people filling the new earth with kingdoms and nations and cities? Well, I do. You know, in one of Jesus' parables, the master replied, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very small matter, I will put you in charge of ten cities. Revelation 2, 26, to him who overcomes, I will give authority over the nations. There's many more scriptures I could go to which we can't this morning, but I'll just say this. There is much in Scripture that, that, that implies strongly that there will be organization and actual cities and nations in the new earth, and they'll be ruled over by the saints of God. And that's what John sees here, people, nations, and kings bringing their best products and produce into the city. Final blessing, or f- the final blessing that we're going to look at this morning is that we will experience life without sin and without evil people in the new city. Verse 27, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, those who have not come to Christ, believed Christ, and have had their sins uh, washed or cleansed by the blood of Jesus will not be there. Those who do detestable things will not be there. Those who deny the truth of God or suppress the truth of God and, and instead choose to live by lies will not be in this city. You know, we often talk about the cost of discipleship. What about the cost of non-discipleship? The cost of non-discipleship is exclusion 
from the city of God forever. They will never enter it. This will be a city without sexual immorality, without greed or pride, without jealousy, hatred, or anger, without grumbling, and it'll be a place without bad attitudes. Every, everybody will be worshiping the Lamb. Everybody will be praising the Lord. Everyone in this city loves God. And everyone here loves each other. There will be no friction, no broken relationships. And we'll be together f- forever. No, no more goodbyes. Nobody leaving. And we'll just be together forever and ever. And everyone is rejoicing. There's, no, there's not a tear. It's a world without tears. No sadness. Just rejoicing. And again, I turn back to Isaiah 35, verse 8. And there will be a highway called the way of holiness. Or some translations say there will be a highway called the highway of holiness. I love that expression. There will be a highway of holiness. And it will be only... For those who walk in that way, the unclean will not travel on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there and no vicious beast will go upon it. Such will not be found there, but only the redeemed of the Lord will walk upon it. What, what a highway that's going to be in the city. So, and Isaiah, he's not done. Isaiah goes on. I just got choked up. But Isaiah goes on and says, So the redeemed of the Lord will enter Zion on this highway of holiness with singing and everlasting joy, will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. You know, and here's the, just the main truth, honestly, that I, that I see, this is maybe kind of the, the big picture truth from this, is that where God is, things are healed. Things get well. Uh, people get cured when, when God comes down. And really, when God comes down to dwell with us in the new city, on the new earth, it, it cures everything. And when God shows up, everything's brilliant and beautiful and glorious and full of light. There's no sadness, no night, no unholiness. All creation is restored. Uh, people are healed. Life returns uh, to a state like it was in the beginning in the Garden of Eden, only far, far better even than that. And as in the last passage we covered a couple weeks ago, God says, behold, I make all things new. I mean, there's just no other way to describe it. Everything is just fantastically new. And God says, that's what I will do. So, this hope of heaven is to affect your life today. Um, I believe that it is to be a very important uh, spiritual weapon uh, for you today. And as I pointed out at the very beginning of the message, I, th- I think it's very significant that right as the church was about to enter a time of intense persecution 
That is when God gave this vision to John of the new city. So, we are to draw joy. We are to draw joy and hope from the new earth and the new city. And we are to use that hope to fight against the devil and depression and every form of evil in this world. And I believe it is primarily, or at least very significantly, our, your joy and your hope in the new city that makes you an overcomer. I don't think you can be an overcomer in this world without having a very vivid hope in this new city that God has for us. All right, and next week we're going to cover eight more blessings in the new Jerusalem. All right, let's pray. Father, um, thank you for opening the window of, and giving us a glimpse of this heavenly city that you have prepared for us. And God, we thank you.